we're finishing up the book of Revelation. I want to tell you, on, on Monday I do my rough draft, okay? And we spend several hours doing that. And uh, when I finished it, I, I just, it just hit me how honored I have been to be able to teach this word to people that actually want to hear. Amen. It's not like you're making people hear. I mean, they actually want to hear the word of God. And, uh, and I just kind of fell on my face before God, and I got kind of weepy, and I'm just thanking him that he gave me this opportunity. It was such an honor to do this. And so I just want to say praise to God for that. Amen. And I think that we have learned something through this. Uh, we have learned what it's going to be like to live through the tribulation and how important it is to avoid that at all costs. And that every one of the judgments that we see in the book of Revelation, the seals, trumpets, and bowls, all of those are directed to having people turn from earth dwellers to Jesus heaven dwellers. Those, those judgments are, are meant to wake people up and say, this is what, is, this is what hell's going to be like. This is what it's going to be like. Don't go through this. Don't go through this. It has been such an honor, like I said, to teach this. And we are in the final uh, lesson, and I was going to say, well, I'll review the whole book next week and that sort of thing, but I think I'm going to do Philemon next week. And then while I have taught through the whole uh, New Testament, well, a couple of the Gospels we skipped, but uh, Philemon has to do with slavery and that sort of thing and how uh, Paul pleaded with Philemon to release Onesimus and uh, I think it's going to be a good teaching, so that's what we'll do next week. But we are finishing today, and this is, listen up, Jesus' final words to you. And when you're finishing something at the very end, usually those words are the most important. So listen up. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word, Revelation 22, 12 through 21. And don't forget your part. Thanks be to God. Okay, that's your part. Starting verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give every, to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do, do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Hey, good job, good job. Father, thank you for this time you've given us to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Thank you that you've taught us through the book of Revelation over and over and over to watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Messiah's coming. Messiah's coming. And we can almost hear his footsteps today as we look to, at our world around us. Oh, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the things of the Spirit today. Speak to our hearts. We need you, God, more than we need anything in this world. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.
as you know, for the last time, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. And Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus is coming to make all things new, including, guess who? You, we, we get to all be new. Yes, and we get to heaven. We talked about the millennial reign of Christ. We talked about the eternal reign of Christ. We talked about the new Jerusalem, that great cube that's going to come down from heaven. 1,500 by 1,500 miles square. And it, it, we, it, the, inor, the ornateness of the cube, its beauty, its gold, its, its, its gates of pearl, all the, all the jewels that are embedded on the, on, in the foundations and on the walls and what a wonderful, incredible place it's going to be. But it's nothing, nothing compared to God being present there. And we'll be, we'll be just celebrating forever with Him. In the presence of God, we'll be able to stand before Father, Son, Holy Spirit in His, in his completeness. The complete God, Father, Son, and Holy. He's one God, three persons. I don't know how all that works, but we are going to be in His presence forever. What an incredible thing. Now, last time we talked about truth. And what is truth? That was, a, that was our talk last week. And, and the theme came from 22, verse 6. These words are faithful and true. These words that we have studied in this Word of God is, are faithful and true. We can trust them. Truth is the word althea. It means unveiled reality. What something really is. In a world that is running from the truth, it is important that we know that there is objective truth. Something that is really true. There is also subjective truth that happens to most of humanity. Most of humanity says, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. That is not a truth. There is objective truth, and that truth is found in God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I don't know if you remember his quote from last week. Remember, he was a Nobel Prize winner in literature in 1970. He spent eight years in a Russian gulag for writing a letter criticizing Stalin. And for that, he was thrown into the gulag and was tortured for eight years and then finally released. He wrote these words, One word of truth shall outweigh the whole world. And then I added, of lies of lies. Oz Guinness, a Christian apologist thinker, last week we learned that he said this, truth matters supremely because in the end without truth there is no freedom. Truth is true. I love this statement. Listen to it. Truth is true even if nobody believes it. And falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. What a statement. This is why truth does not yield to opinion doesn't matter about the polls. We took a poll. Doesn't make, make a hoot to God. Doesn't matter about fashion. Doesn't matter about the numbers that people are believing in. It doesn't matter of the, of the office of the person who is, who is putting forth the lies or sincerity. It's simply true because in the end it is truth and that is it. The enemy of persistent lies is the truth. What is the Christian to do in a culture that you are being inundated with lies like no other time in the history of humanity? There's been no other time when the, our brains have had the inputs that we have today that try to take us away from the truth. Nobody in the, in the history of this country or in the history of this world has been exposed to the indoctrination that we have been exposed to. Our minds are pummeled with falsehoods constantly. What are we to do as Christians? And we learned from, from Rod Dreyer's book, Live Not By Lies, to see, judge, and act. 
see what's going on around you. Have eyes to see. Take the blinders off and see what's going on around you. And then make a judgment according to what is written in the Word of God. Does that balance with the Word of God? And then have the courage, men and women of God, to stand up and speak the truth in your culture, in your sphere of influence. We are to speak the truth and live not by lies. In America, folks, it is still safe to proclaim the truth. In many parts of the world, it will cost you your life today to proclaim the truth. In America today, it's becoming more dangerous. It's becoming more dangerous. You might suffer your reputation. You might even have to give up a job. Your finances could be threatened. Your freedom, you could end up in jail for the truth. Even your life, that hasn't happened yet in America. But people have been thrown in jail, certainly in Canada. We were spared. Pastors have been thrown in jail for speaking the truth. Remember, the entire world is in on a fix. And that is the globalism fix. And everyone is in on All the upper echelon of what we consider upper echelon in society are in on the fix. In on the fix. Business leaders, com major companies, governments, education, entertainment, media are all in on the fix. And this is the first time in the history of our country that we have had lawlessness supported by mayors and governors and even presidents. How sad that is. Remember, one word of truth will counter a world of lies. When we study the Bible, we are studying the truth. The truth. Anything counter to what is being taught in this word, we have to say that is not truth. It doesn't, it doesn't bear up under the scrutiny of truth. We must not live by lies. We must not be silenced. While we can, may we be courageous men and women that shout truth from the housetops. We can still. We can. So use your voice. Now, there are several things that are happening in our country. One of them is this march towards uh, socialism and Marxism and that sort of thing. And I want you to know there are only three things holding this movement back because everybody's in on the fix, those, those entities that I just mentioned. The number one thing that I think is holding it back is the nuclear family. The nuclear family. A mother, a father, and children. Do you know that Marxists believe that marriage is an oppressive state? That husbands oppress wives? That parents oppress children? It's an, see, they always have to have an oppressor and an oppressed in Marxism. Lenin believed this. Lenin believed that if you, you can clothe your kids, you can feed your kids, but you give the kids' minds to us. You give the kids' minds to the state. We will educate them. We will train them to be good worldview people, Russian worldview. Hitler had the same, the same mindset. Number one, nuclear family is a hindrance. The Constitution is a hindrance. Now, how many times are you hearing today that the Constitution is a fluid document? It needs to be brought up to modern times. Oh, no, the Constitution gives us a bill of rights that allows us to have individual freedom. See, in Marxism, you have a collective. There's nothing to do with the individual. In Christianity, it's all about the individual. In America, it's about individualism. Individualism. In Marxism, it's whatever's good for the collective. And the Constitution protects our individual rights. And thirdly, the, tr the true church is a hindrance to Marxism. 
And that, and, and most of the of the of the Christian community, I would say the the, I would say it's it's leading into the into the most part of this have bought in to this Marxist philosophy. They've accepted the culture's mores and values. They've blended with the culture. And what has happened is, is that uh, there's been this move to shut down the church, to keep the church's voice silent, to keep your voice within these walls and not take it out. That's, a, that's, an, that's an absolute prohibition from our Lord Jesus Christ. He told us to go and tell everyone. We cannot keep it within our walls. They don't understand that. They don't understand that. The church is a, an obstacle to Marxism. Now, we are worshipers of the true God, and we cannot bow to this mentality. We cannot bow to it. And, and I wanted you to think about something. Jesus said, you are the salt, of the, you, are the salt you are the light of the world. You are, are, the, are salt, okay? Salt and light. And salt is an irritant, isn't it? It can be flavorful, it can be a preservative, it can be an irritant. Jesus said, if we lose our saltiness, we are good for nothing, in Matthew 5.13. Folks, I will say to you, we must not be silenced. Stay salty. Stay seasoning. Stay a, a preservative. And by all means, if you must, and I think you're going to automatically do this, you're going to be an irritant to the world that is around you because you're speaking something so counter to what we are experiencing in our world. This week... I want you to listen up. These are Jesus' final words. And he starts out with this. He wants us to know over and over and over. He said this several times. I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. He makes a proclamation. I am coming quickly. Verse 12 and 13. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward, my mithras, my wages is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. And when he says that, he's telling you flat out, he is God. Unmistakably God. I am the beginning and the end. I am everything. So the, world said, the world's response to I am coming quickly is this. Oh, really? Oh, really? You Christians have been saying this all along. Oh, really? Peter had to deal with this 2,000 years ago. False teachers deny the return of Christ, folks, and ridicule anyone who believes in the truth of Christ's return. Hear the naysayers of Peter's time in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Scoffers. You know what a scoffer is? A derider, a mocker, a ridiculer. You're ignorant because you believe this stuff. You really believe this Jesus stuff? You really believe in the creation? You really believe that this thing just popped into existence when God said already it evolved over billions of years? No, we believe that God did it. God did it the way he said that he did it. Scoffers will come in the last days. Now, the last days, you must know, is the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. Walking according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That is one great big lie. All things are not continuing as they were. For the Jewish nation in particular, as Peter was talking in particular too, he says this, the Jews were in captivity for 400 years and miraculously de delivered from Egyptian bondage. 
That, that, well, everything wasn't staying the same in their world. The Jewish nation was divorced from God, the ten northern cri- tribes in Jeremiah chapter 3.8, because of idolatry, and they went into Assyrian captivity. 150 years later, Judah. Judah did not pay attention what happened when the Assyrians came for the ten northern tribes, and then Babylon came, and because of idolatry, they went into captivity. Things are not staying the same. And then Jesus Messiah comes, and they reject the Messiah. And remember Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. 490 years are given for your people in your holy city, Daniel. 490 years. And Messiah comes in and he's rejected at year 483. And time stopped for the Jews. Remember we had that graft and it showed us that time stopped for the Jews. And the church age starts. We are in that 2,000 year period of time between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel. When the 70th week comes, that'll be the tribulation period. The church, I believe, will be gone and God refocuses on the Jewish people. Things are not the same. And then Peter goes on to say this, they willfully forget the flood. And he goes on to say, they willfully forget that the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. All things continuing as they were, it's just not a true statement. Jesus made a promise to you, to each one of us, He's coming. He says, I am coming quickly. By the way, that's written in the present tense. That means Jesus, as pictured as presently coming now, it's imminent. Now, how can we say 2,000 years it's imminent? Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter 3.8, one day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. God does now count time as we count time. His return is imminent. I am coming quickly. At the end of this talk, I'm going to give you five reasons why I believe this is the time. And you've heard these reasons before. It'll be a recap for you. Jesus will reward the faithful when he comes back. He says, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And remember that reward is a mithras. It is a wage. When we stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat judgment and are judged for our works after salvation... Will the things that we have been done for him be wood, hay, or stubble, be burned up, or will they be gold, silver, and precious stones, excuse me, refined by the fire? If they are refined by the fire, if they are genuine works done for God, we will receive a reward. And remember this, God is a magnificent rewarder. He's going to give to us out of proportion to anything that we have done for him. And again, I always want to add this, we are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, not of works, lest any should boast. But our works are important. And we will be rewarded for what we've done for Christ after salvation. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He will, he will make these things come to pass. And I would say this loud and clear. It's good to be on the Jesus team. And I would say, would you agree? <coughs> Yeah, let's, let's pick teams. Throw the, remember how you used to, well, I don't know if you guys did this. We threw the bat, grabbed the bat right at the, right at the where all markings were, Louisville Slugger. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and, you know, kick it out. And we would always say, I want to be on that team. I want to be on the Jesus team. That's what I want to be on. All you have to do is say, it's easy to get on his team. You believe and receive the gift of salvation. It's just that simple. Jesus has a proclamation. I'm coming quickly. And then Jesus makes a statement about salvation and damnation in verse 14 and 15. Listen up. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life 
and may enter through the gates into the city. This is the saved. Quite different for the unsaved. But outside, outside the city are the dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie outside the city. Now concerning salvation, it says, blessed are those who keep his commandments. You know, if you are obeying what Jesus taught, that is evidence that you're in the family of God. That bears witness to that. So that's something that you want to think about. That again is written in the present tense. And that we are continually, as best we can, obeying the, te the teachings of, of, of Christ. More on that in just a second. Now, if you have an NIV Bible, if you have a New American Standard Bible, if you have an ESV Bible, anything that has taken its, its, its translation from the Alexandrian text instead of the majority text, then you will have this there. Blessed are those who's, who wash their robes. Again, speaking of salvation. So it's, there's a difference in those texts. In either case, those who do his commandments demonstrates that they are genuine believers and their robes have been washed. Washed. Thinking about this obeying the commandments. Think about this. The power to keep his commandments is derived by the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is not us. We must yield to God. We must tap into God's power in order to be obedient to him. But it's possible and, and it's, it is actually commanded. But think about this also. He says that we are found to be liars concerning our relationship with him if we do 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, which says this, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That is a third class if. Remains to be seen. A first class if is if and it is so. It is actually the truth. This is a third class. This remains to be seen if you're going to be an obedient person of following Christ. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Boy, is that a profound statement or what? Makes you feel a little guilty, doesn't it? Those who obey Jesus' commands, who wash their robes, are, will be looked at are genuine believers and will have access to the city, the New Jerusalem. Now, I have a question for you, and you might be thinking about this right now as you're sitting in your seats. Are, are we going to keep these commandments perfectly? Is there such thing as sinless perfection while we're here? And the answer is, no, Mr. Gorham, no, that's not that. No, no, you, no, that's correct. This is not talking about sinless perfection, but it is talking about the direction of your life. Where are you headed? Where are you headed? Are you headed in the right direction? Remember, be... Uh, being conformed to the likeness of Christ is the goal of all of our lives. To look less like us and more like Jesus. Perfection comes when we are glorified. We're no longer housed in this flesh and we're in the glorified state. You know what that is? That's the state of perfection. You get that when you get your new body. Until then, you're still housed in flesh. And Mr. or Mrs. Flesh is your constant enemy. Always working against the things of God. Until then, the struggle is daily, moment by moment with sin. It's direction, not perfection. Then ask yourself this question. Okay, if it's direction, not, not perfection, ask yourself this. 
Are you at least in the battle? Are you in the fight? Are you heading in the right direction? Are you? Ask yourself that question. Or have you given up and given in to your sins? Each one of us has a proclivity, a propensity, a tendency to some sin. It can grab hold of each one of us. We each have to have our own struggle. Mine's not the same as yours. Yours is not the same as me. But what is unique to humanity is that we all have something. And Satan knows it and our flesh wants it. That's the truth. Have you given up and given in just the way I am? Or are you, and then ask yourself, are you feeding the flesh dragon? See, the flesh dragon is never satisfied. The flesh dragon always wants more and more and more of the sin. Are you saying, I can't in your flesh battle? I can't beat this. This has gone on so long. It's inc- I, I, I'm just giving up. That's just the way I am. And I would say, remember the truth. I can do, you know the rest, all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? I can't do it on my own. I do it as I dwell in Christ. I do as I as I get help from other Christian brothers and sisters. I can conquer anything through God's strength. Remember Galatians 5.16. We can be conquerors over our flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Conduct your life in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That is the promise that is given to us. Now a good sign that you're a struggler in this battle is conviction. When you do your little sin, are you going, oh God, I am so sorry. I failed. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Do you get a sense of grief? A sense of grief. You'd want to be, we want to be like Paul. We want to fight the good fight. Folks, there's a good fight. The fight against the flesh is a good fight. The fight against the lies in this world is a good fight. We want to engage, spend our energy on the good fight, not get caught up in the minutia of the, of the poor, poor fights or the things that aren't worth fighting about. Fight the good fight of faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And don't you want to hear, well done, well done. The good and faithful one. Remember the song? It went something like it. Well done, well done. Now, concerning damnation, who will not be admitted to the city? And I will tell you, those not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, all rejectors of Messiah, all who wanted their own way. See, I'll do it my way, God. And maybe my way will just fit into your way. That's okay, God. That's okay. I give you permission to allow me to do it my way. What a backwards view. It's not about my way. It's about His way. Rejectors of Messiah, all who wanted their own way. One day they will get their way because God will reluctantly say, reluctantly say, okay, your will be done. That is a sad day. Remember, God's heart is turn and live. Turn and live. Turn and live. Remember, God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Turn and live. Now, outside the city, there's this list of things that qualify for outside the city people. Okay? And he calls them, number one, dogs. If you're not saved, you're a dog. Okay? You're impure and unclean. That's everyone before Jesus came into your life. We were all dogs. Now, maybe you were a pit bull, or maybe you were a chihuahua, or maybe you were a great dame, but you were all dogs at one time. 
Then he talks about sorcerers, and you know that word is pharmakia. And in this context, it's actually dealing with drugs that help you get in contact with the demonic realm. But let me suggest to you something. Drugs are a conduit to the demonic. And the demonic realm is real. There are powers and principalities that want entrance into your being to control you. The sexually immoral, pornea, any sexual act outside of the marriage covenant is prohibited by God. Any of them. Any of them. Then he has murderers, idolaters, which I, I think we are all idolaters of some sort, and then those who practice a lie. Folks, that's all of us. We have all lied. We have all lied. That's all of us. All those who have refused Jesus Christ as their Savior are not washed by the blood of the Lamb. They will, they will not be admitted to the city. All rejectors. Now, I, have a, I want to share something with you that is a thought that I have. Before I share it, I'll give you this statement. What does outside the city mean? And I think that this is the majority opinion. This is the majority opinion. I think it's a very plausible opinion. And it simply means this. It's contrasting the fate of the believer and the non-believer. But I want you to think about this. This is where my brain goes when I'm studying. I'm thinking, oh, outside the city. And, they could, and, and, and it, it seems like they were close. Close. The New Jerusalem, outside the city, it seemed like they were close. And then I got to think of Luke chapter 16 and the rich man and Lazarus. And, and the rich man was in torment and Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom comforted. And there was a gulf between them. But yet the rich man could see Abraham, Lazarus at Abraham's bosom being comforted. And I got to thinking, goodness, uh, the rich man is in torments. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. There was a great gulf fixed between them. Could it be that part of the torture of the lake of fire is that you see or realize or somehow know in a real special way what you missed? <clears throat> what you missed? I, I think that would, that would be hell for sure. This is Jesus' final statement in all of Scripture about salvation and damnation. Jesus will tell us to come in verse 17. But this is his final statement of warning. Jesus' final proclamation of, I am coming. And he gives us a statement of salvation. And then he gives us a message to the church. Verse 16, thinking about you as the church. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. Did somebody do this on purpose? Turn this around so... <laughs> I wouldn't be cognizant of the time. <laughs> you want me to be cognizant of the time? Yes. Message to the church. Yeah, that was good. Uh, the book of Revelation is directed to the church, folks, not the world. Not the world. Jesus wants his people to know what is coming. To not panic, to not run around and worry, to not bite your fingernails as you see your world changing. It's been predicted. He told us to watch and be ready. And to warn people. Then he taught, this is actually a reference to the seven churches that we studied at the beginning. Remember, chapters two and three were the seven churches uh, in, in Turkey. And these churches, I think, rep represent epochs of time where one church dominated. It also represents, I think, the seven churches represent the general churches today around the world. And I also believe that it represents the congregation in each one of these churches. Because I think that there are people that are in 
Ephesus type people who have lost their first love in every congregation. There are Smyrna people, those who have been persecuted. Those are compromised people, the ones in, the, the, the ones in, in what's the third one? Uh, Smyrna. Compromised. Or Pergamos, compromised. And then corrupt in Thyatira. Then there's the dead people that aren't even born again that are sitting here. Why do dead people come to church to hear this week after week? There has to be some conviction in them. Usually they're coming because there's some comfort they get by being with people. Christians are generally nice. Uh, I've known of a friend that he went to church, an atheist, because he liked being around Christian people. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. There are those types of people. And then there's a few that are faithful, real followers of Jesus. But I think the thing that predominates in our world today is the Laodicean lukewarm. General church and people in those churches are just lukewarm. Want a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of the world. That last church that dominates history is Laodicea. The lukewarm apostate church. The falling away from the true faith church. And I believe, as I've said before, uh, there is a Laodicean spirit that is alive and well in the Western world. Alive and well. Very connected with the world. Use a lot of God talk and Jesus speak, but few are genuine. They think they're wonderful. They think they're great because they're huge. But Jesus says you're wretched, poor, and blind. You don't even see. The time we are living in, folks, I believe, is revealing Laodiceans left and right. We are seeing the true church separated from the false church. We are seeing a sifting. We're seeing this happening. An emphasis on what the world emphasizes. Remember, there's so many churches that now are caught up in social justice. And I've talked about social justice before. I'm going to elucidate or clarify how I feel about that in, in the following few minutes. But social justice, globalism, open borders, gay marriage, transgenderism, abortion, climate change, sanctuary cities, you get the picture. Most churches or many churches have swallowed this bait, hook, line, and sinker. This is a false gospel. This is a false view. That's a false church, folks. Listen to this. Christian social justice I'm going to compare with Marxism social justice. There is Christian social justice. And I actually got this from Rob Dreyer's book. And he talks about Father Kolokovic, a Catholic priest who warned about the communists taking over uh, after Hitler was defeated and what the people would be facing. He defines social justice, Christian social justice this way, to create conditions of unity. Now, focus on that word, unity that enabled all people, rich and poor, to live in solidarity and mutual charity. You see these words are, are connecting, they're bonding. As pilgrims on the road to unity in Christ, which is central. Now, in Christian social justice, it's voluntary. It's volitional. It's up to the person to participate, okay? So just hear that loud and clear. Marxist social justice, what we're seeing being promoted today, is quite different. It's quite different. It's equal distribution of society's goods. Now that sounds good, but it's always when you equally distribute something, 
you're taking from someone to give to someone else. When you talk about free education, it's not free. Somebody's paying for it. If you work, you'll be paying for that. And by the well, I'll get onto that in just a second. So it's an equal distribution of society's goods. Now, usually this is determined by an oligarchy. What is that? The leaders. The leaders in that system will decide. I think you should get this. I think you should get this. I think you should. Whatever is the best for the collective. The collective. The individual is expendable. In Christianity, the individual made in the image of God is highest priority. As an individual with your rights and freedoms, that's a high priority for God. But in godless Marxism, it is not a priority. So, Marxist social justice is godless. Humanities rules not God. And it always promotes an oppressed group and an oppressor group. There's always victims. You go to college campuses. They have little places where the victims can go and get healed, where the snowflakes can go and have a healing time because their feelings are hurt. My goodness, they couldn't have survived in my neighborhood. It would have been awful for them. <laughs> it was constant hurt to permit an oppressive... And it always fosters division. There is no road to unity. Simply force compliance to the state. All done under the guise of it's good for humanity. It's forced. It's not voluntary. And I can tell you under Marxist regimes, this is not an exaggeration, millions have been put in prison and millions have died. It's forced. It's not, it's not voluntary. Forced. Forced. Now, many times there will be an argument that the Bible talks about socialism. And they'll use Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 27, where the apostles were gathered together, the disciples, and they were all together combining their goods together. The setting is persecution. Christians are being persecuted. So the church came together and believers sold different parts of property, sold different things, and helped other believers. Okay? The difference is, it was all voluntary. There was no coercion. Sell your property or we're going to shoot you with an arrow. There wasn't any of that. Or sell your property or you're ostracized from the, from the community. It was all voluntary. So that argument doesn't wash. Marxism always is forced. They'll use riots, intimidation, and you see these today. Scream and yell at universities to anybody that comes in with anything that is counter to what they want to hear. There's a truth vacuum in our country, and they want to keep the lie promulgated. So with that stated, we want the truth. And we're going to get the truth from the offspring of David, em emphasizing Jesus' humanity, and the bright and morning star, which emphasizes his deity, his, his, his godness. And remember, the bright and morning star announces the start of a new day, and it's the, it's the brightest in the heavens. The light reveals what is truth. The light displaces the darkness and chaos. Fortunately, the light has come into your life if you're a believer, and you can know the truth. If you're a non-believer, you're still walking in darkness. You're still wondering if all this thing is true. Jesus told us the truth. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And what does he say? You will know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. It'll make you free. Truth brings freedom. Lies bring slavery. 
Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot snuff out the true light. Hear this. No Jesus, no light. No Jesus, no hope. No Jesus, no future. No Jesus, no sin bearer. And no Jesus, no Savior. And no Jesus, no heaven. Separated from God forever. All I can say is thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. With that stated, Jesus is going to get a final invitation to come in verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. 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 Salvation is a gift. It's a free gift. The last invitation. Who's involved? The Spirit of God and the church. And what is the Spirit? Each has a role. The Holy Spirit convicts, you know what it is, of sin, singular, not knowing Jesus, sin, righteousness, and judgment, John 16, 8. The Spirit-filled church, the true church, is to go out and tell, is to go and tell. Romans 10, 14. How will they hear without a preacher? How will someone know if someone isn't telling them the truth? Now remember what a preacher is. Okay, this right here is what people think preachers are. Okay, I'm heralding the truth. Let me tell you that preachers are anyone. It's a caruso is the, is the word. And it's telling people the truth. Everybody in here is a preacher, a heralder of truth to the culture that you are embedded in. Your friends in school, your friends on the team, your people in the workplace. There should be nobody that doesn't know you're a Christ follower. I'm, I'm telling you, it should not be hidden. We are light. Let it shine. Take that little bushel basket off and let it shine. This is not time for soft, mamsy-pamsy, hidden, scared Christianity. This is time for men and women of God of steel to stand for the truth. Tell them the truth, folks. Tell them the truth. The Spirit woos. The bride invites. And folks, this is an urgent command to come. The last chance. Why is it urgent? Because every time the Word of God goes out and God touches your heart, that is your chance to come to God. He is always the initiator in salvation. It is very dangerous for a human being to say, I'll put that off till I'm ready. I'm in charge of this thing. Oh, no, you're not. If you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, if He is speaking to your heart, Scripture says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Kenon is the word empty, useless. He's coming to you. He's wooing you. Father is drawing you. The whole Godhead is, is, is at work drawing you to Himself. Do not put this off. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I beg you, I plead with you, Bow before him. Say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I receive you as my Savior. You don't know when it's your last chance. Folks, I, I'm not a, a fear mongerer. I mean, we'll, we'll all die one day, but we don't know if we're going to eat a sandwich out here and, and pull a Cass Kelly, Elliot. What was her name? Cass, Cass Elliot and, and choke to death. Okay, we don't know that. We don't know how long we have. Absolutely not. Today is the day. It could not be clearer. Jesus' message to the world. His final invitation is to come. Do it now. 
urgency is the clarion call of the day. That means loud and clear call of the day. Then Jesus will give a final warning in 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And they were beyond the pale awful. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, or the, some translations say the tree of life, from the whole city and from the things which are written in this book. Now in context, this is talking about the book of Revelation. Don't mess with the book of Revelation. Allow it to say what it says. Deal with what it is saying. Don't take away things. But in, we, I think we can extrapolate from this that don't take away anything from the Word of God. God's Word is truth. Don't mess with the Word of God. I think the warning is simple and clear. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. Now, pastors or teachers, home group leaders, Sunday school teachers, anyone that's teaching this word at any level has a responsibility. 2 Timothy 2.15, to rightly divide the word of truth. No scripture twisting to make it say what you want it to say. That's very important. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, documos, genuine a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Did you notice the word workman? For anyone teaching at any level, it will take time for you to do a little prep. You're expected to do a little prep. This thing is, let's wing it. I'm going to let the Spirit lead. Let's just wing it. Any, uh, I believe in letting the Spirit lead, but I also believe in you being ready. Don't cop out on that one. Let's just let the Spirit lead. When I hear that, I know guy's not ready. Guy's not ready. Jesus' final warning. Don't mess with his word. There are many wolves among the sheep today attempting to lead masses from the truth of the word. And God has established something to protect you. Elders. To protect the sheep. Remember the elders are, are, the, are, the, are the pastors. They, they provide for, protect, guard, guide, and encourage sheep to go farther. Never does a pastor say, oh, you've gone far enough. You're not growing anymore. You're a little wimp down here. You can just state, no, that is not what a pastor does. Encourages, encourages, encourages people to grow. The elder with the gift of pastor teacher has a specific role. And notice it's his role, not her role. I believe that pastors and elders, that God calls men to this. I think that's what the Bible teaches. And, I, and there's scripture twisting that goes on to try, to try to change that, but I don't think you can twist it. But that's a different subject for a different time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 through 14. I want you to know what I am supposed to do in relationship to you. This is a, these are the foundational gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers, they have a role. And their role is to do this, particularly the pastor teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That is what you're doing here. This is a training ground for ministry. Always, always, always in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a mindset of serving, not simply receiving. Now, we do need to receive things, but we also need to be giving, giving back to the body. So equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That means building up the body, 
encouraging the body, even more as we see the day approaching. Till we come into unity of the faith, that's the third one, and the knowledge of the Son of God, and the fourth one is to a perfect man. And I'm reading that and I'm going, how in the world is that going to be me? The perfect man. And then I looked up the word, and it simply means mature, complete. It means that you're involved in the sanctification process. You're on a journey. You're in the right direction. And what's the purpose of all of this? Verse 14, that you, that I'm teaching you, that we together should no longer be children, nepios, little babies who cannot speak. Nothing worse than a 50-year-old, 50-year Christian, been in Christianity and still a nepios, still a baby, tossed to and fro and carried around by every wind of doctrine. Oh, I like that teaching over there. Oh, let's go to this. Oh, the Holy Spirit's over. No, no. That tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, we speak the truth in love. The pastor teacher has a huge responsibility. Equip, edify, promote unity, encourage maturity, and keep them away from the false teachers. Now, I have a picture here for all of us. Don't be deceived. Let's see. Don't be deceived. There's so many, oh, batteries. So many people walk around with their eyes closed. I'm okay. I'm not going to see this evil. I'm just going to pretend it's okay. Do not be deceived. In order to not be deceived, you must be under sound teaching. Someplace, somewhere, you must be under sound teaching. Now, the next one is the road to lies or the roads to truth. Thank you, Maritza. That was very good. Are you going to go take the truth road or the lie road? Now, this road is huge. This is what, everybody's going down it. And you're going to think, oh, let me get on the freeway and get on that road. Uh-uh. You want to enter by the narrow gate. You want to go through the truth road. There's going to be some stragglers on there. Some people are going to, not as many as on this road. Don't fall for the lies, folks. Stay on the truth road. Stay on the truth road. And finally, in closing, this is in closing, verse 20 and 21. Jesus' final words to you. His church. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Again, the last words he's speaking to you, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Get serious about your faith. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace, charis. His favor. His favor. Joy. Acceptance. His kindness be with you all. That's his final words to you. I am coming quickly, so be ready. Be ready, church. Be ready. I believe the world, folks, is being prepped for Jesus' return like no other time in history of the world. I'm going to give you five things. Five things. Number one, the Jews are in the land after 25 years of dispersion. And you... 2,500 years of dispersion. You can't even correct that, can you, anymore? Yeah, okay, went out. 2,500 years of dispersion, thank you. Uh, remember, the Jewish nation is the only nation that has ever been dispersed, uh, gone into other cultures, immersed in other cultures, came out with their identity, and went back to their homeland. The only nation in the history of the world gives credence to who God is. This is a God thing. Only God can do this. Secondly, the world can destroy itself many times over Matthew 24, 22. 
Now, in context, I think this is speaking of the bold judgments, and if Jesus, if Jesus didn't stop this whole thing, the whole earth would have been destroyed. But also think about this. The last part of the tribulation period, Antichrist's wrath is being poured out on the world. And don't think he's not going to use every weapon possible to exert his control. And that's nuclear weapons. So only now in this time can mankind themselves totally destroy themselves. No other time in history could we do that. No other time. Thirdly, apostasy abounds. And I believe the church has fallen away from, from, from its Christian roots. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, the day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first, the apostasy. The fourth thing I think we're seeing, like no other time in history, and I've mentioned this so many times, you're probably going to just be irritated with it, but I want you to be assured that you are experiencing something that no one in the history of the world has experienced. The constant flow of information to form your world opinion coming into your mind on a constant basis. The indoctrination is overwhelming. The human mind can't deal with this. That's why it's important that you tune out some of this information that's coming in. Have a little balance in your life, some discipline. Tune it out. We're overwhelmed with it. Brainwashing, lawlessness will mark the end times. Facilitated by technology. And believe me, the distraction is purposeful. The distraction is purposeful. Do anything to keep them about thinking about what's really going on in the world. Keep them involved in their video games. Keep them involved in their recreation. Keep them involved in their pleasures. Keep them involved in their money. Keep them involved in anything that will take them away from thinking about what's really going on in the world around them. The distraction is purposeful. All facilitated by technology, which you are living in the zenith of technology today at least up to now. And then finally, there's a push towards globalism worldwide like never before. Never until these past few years have you seen America capitulate to globalism. But now it has. Everything you hear is global, 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 global. One world government, one world religion. Folks, there will be a one world leader called the Antichrist. He's coming. He's on the scene. Well, I don't know if he's on the scene yet, but he's coming on the scene. A must-know-for-you and I think this is important. In the midst of all of this, Jesus will come and rescue his church. He will come and rescue you from the coming Holocaust. And it's good to know that you're on the winning team. For all believers, a word for you. Hold loosely. Hold loosely. This world is not our home. And think about this word. He says, I am coming quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha is that word. You know, Maranatha is an Aramaic term that says, even so, come Lord Jesus. The posture of the true church, the posture of the bride of Christ is say, yes, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Come now, Jesus. Now look, when I'm 18 years old, I'm going, well, Jesus, could you hold off a little bit till I get my car? Jesus, could you slow that one down? Because I want to get married tomorrow. You know, could you slow? You know, I understand those feelings. But look, when you understand what God has prepared for you, this is minuscule, zero, nothing compared to what he has for us. These are Jesus' final words to you. I am coming for you, my bride. Put your name there. If you're born again, if you're not, he's not coming for you. 
If you're not born again, you're going to a whole different experience. Watch and be ready. And, gee, and hear this. And I think this is he's talking about his second coming. But it's also, I want you to think about your life. Because even if we live through this and Jesus doesn't come, you will die. It's 100%. Folks, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an A+. Plus. 100% will die. Think about this. He will come when we least expect it. For you naturally or supernaturally with the rapture. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also be ready. You hear that word? Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Maritza, could you put up the picture here? I want, to end, I want you to end with this. With this picture in your mind. Coming. Ready or not, Jesus. And I hope you're ready. I hope you believed and received the gift of salvation. I hope that we have given enough credence, enough evidence to believe that this whole thing is real. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus is coming to make all things new. This concludes our teaching in the book of Revelation. And I must say, this has been quite a journey for me, being in this. And hopefully, you're more prepared for what is coming in our changing world. I hope you are. That we're not going to live with our, our fingernails bit down to the quick. We're not going to live in anxiety or worry. Every time we see something happening, we want to encourage one another. As I start to get a little panicky, I get encouragement from my brothers and sisters. Stay the course. Stay the course. No fear. Just a simple great expectation that the King is coming. And remember you have been through this study. You are blessed. Blessed is he who reads, hears, and keeps the things that are written for the time is near. Revelation 1.3 Folks, the King is coming. The King is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. And I want you to, the last words I want you to hear in this study are these. Listen. Listen, you can almost hear the footsteps of Messiah. He's coming. He's coming. All the signs are there. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to finish this study. And Lord, I, I've just always uh, was in hopes that as we finish these and said these last words, or maybe this would be our time to just go. We made it through the study. But Lord, there's other people you want to come become part of your family. So those who are lost, those who are just rejecting and refusing, God, I pray that you open their eyes, open their hearts, open their minds. Help them to realize how much you love them, how much you gave for them. Help them to understand the truth of the things that have been taught. May they not go one day, one moment longer without saying, yes, I believe you, Lord Jesus. I trust you. I commit my life to you. I receive the free gift of salvation. Oh Lord, I pray that happens today. People on the internet listening or on Facebook or wherever they are today, receive and believe. They receive the gift of salvation. Believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Again, thank you for this time to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.